What's the future of entertainment and technology in the car? As EV explodes, we've talked about EV infrastructure increasing by a factor of 10 over the next five to seven years. Part of the challenge then comes on where those charging points go. As it turns out, the winning models that we're seeing now in terms of electric car charging points being installed in off-street locations. That's Adam Woolway, head of EV at Parkopedia, and this is Talking the Drive, where the people who create what's next in the car reimagine what's possible. I'm John McLeod, and today we'll take a deep dive into EV charging and what's needed to improve the consumer experience. Adam, thanks for being here today. Thanks, John. Thanks for inviting me on. So EV sales are growing, but real consumer issues such as range anxiety, long charging times, and poor charging experiences are slowing the jump to the mass market. What can be done to help drivers, and what's Parkopedia doing about it? I fully agree with you, of course, that EV sales are... I think we can almost say booming now. They are growing exponentially. Uh, so depending on which country you're in or, or which state you're in, then maybe you may see more EVs than others. But the general trend is that, of course, EVs are now pretty much unstoppable, I would say. So I'm, I'm speaking as someone that's been involved in the EV industry for 12 years or so. And I certainly remember a time when EVs were, well, people did not believe in EVs. They, they weren't cool at all. And if you try to tell anybody that electric cars were the future, then they would look at you very suspiciously. So that's definitely changed now. I think everybody is almost uh, agreeing that EVs are coming uh, and that everyone will soon buy an EV. That's, of course, pushed a lot by, say, the the governments, of course, of various countries wanting to also push EV and, and make sure that uh, the air in cities is cleaner. But then you're quite right that there is a big delta, I would say, in terms of the experience that drivers want when they come to charge that car, and then actually the experience which they get when when they really dive into to charging up their electric vehicle. So we can go into more detail, I'm, I'm sure, but just in general, in general sense, even something as simple as finding a charging point can be very difficult if you're charging your car in public. If you look in your navigation unit in, in your car and you, you try to find out where a charging point is, and you will often find that where the car says it is, is not the real life experience of where the charging point is. And, and once you get there, uh, then is that charging point going to be working? Is it going to be blocked? There's huge issues like this. So I think in the US, about 30% of all charging points are uh, out of order at any one time because the, the uptime is, is very poor of these charging points. In a very short summary, the, what Parkopedia is doing is sort of ironing out all of this data, right? So we are we're making partnerships across the whole of the industry uh, with charging point operators, with EMSPs and, and many other acronyms that we can get into. We're making sure that everyone is connected and then we're able to make sure the data is of high quality we can put into the car. What was really surprising for me to learn is just the raw numbers of number of charging points required to support EV versus say gas stations. You know, if you look at sort of the last hundred years, I mean, of course, the gas station business is, has matured and it's really become quite efficient where you have in the U.S. now 145,000 locations of gas stations. There are 8, 10, 12 pumps. They're well distributed across the U.S. So pretty much you can find a gas station anywhere when you, when you need to. With charging stations, though, I guess partly because of the longer charging time and because of other things. There are actually going to be a lot more charging locations, like orders of magnitude more is my understanding, which in some ways makes your job more critical 
but it also makes it a lot harder because it's, you know, it's a little bit like the Wild West, at least here in the U.S., where charging station points are popping up everywhere. So how do you think about collecting all this data and how do you think about making sure it's accurate? That must be just a huge challenge for you. One thing we, we can't underestimate is this transition to EV is, is a huge, huge transition. So before we even look at the, the, the charging point, you can look at the car itself. So if you take a Tesla, for example, that might look quite similar to, to a, a number of other cars on, on the road, but actually underneath the hood, um, it's completely different, right? Because in a Tesla, there, there isn't even an engine, there's no gearbox, and, and it, you know, it's just a big battery. And we hear these things about software on, on wheels or mobile phones on, on wheels being used to describe an EV. So when it comes to electric cars, we have this this massive, massive transition. One, the cars are very different. But then as you also then point out, there is then this equally big jump, which we have to take in terms of, of EV infrastructure. What we find is when you're fueling up a car with, with gas, then that's something which you do in a, in a short term. Maybe, you know, on, on route somewhere, you might just fill up, it might take 10 minutes and then, then you're off again. With an, with an EV, it can be much more opportunistic where you will... Every time you park your car, then potentially that's an opportunity to to charge it up a little bit more. And of course, what we can't forget is cars today are parked for about 23 hours of, of the day, right? And just driven for one hour of the day. That means then that there's huge opportunity for EV charging points to be put in because there's lots of cars parked all the time. And then in addition to that, because of the amount of time it can take to charge a car, if you're doing it on a level one charger or a level two charger, uh, and then also because of the behavioral patterns of, of drivers who maybe don't charge their car so efficiently at the moment as well. So you see electric car drivers who plug in, the, the battery might get to 100%, but they will keep their car at the charging point and block it. Because of all things like this, and we need to see this huge increase in the amount of charging points. And on top, there's also this psychological factor where car companies and Anyone involved in selling an EV also wants this visualization of charging points to be everywhere so that it makes drivers feel feel comfortable. So if we look at that in terms of numbers, then we can see that I think every major government now, whether that's the UK or Germany or whether it's the US, is now looking at increasing by at least a factor of 10 the amount of charging points which are in the ground by 2030. So we might say that it feels like they're popping up everywhere at the moment. Well, the news is this is going to be many, many more because we're going to see uh, that, that increase by, by 10 by 2030. And that includes, say, 7 billion being put in by the US government in order to build that up. So that creates then, a real operational challenge for anybody that wants to collect data, such as Parkopedia. Because what we often find with those electric car charging points is that the quality of the, the POI data, so that means then the, the, the data on where that charging point is, what type of plug it has, all of the features of that charging point, the quality of that data can often be wrong because when it's installed, the installer might not get the right data or they might make a mistake or maybe no one records the data. There can be a whole multitude of reasons and that creates a massive problem of scalability for anyone that wants to then create that database of, of good quality charging locations because the data is wrong at the source. At the same time, we see that charging points are being put in the ground at a faster rate than ever before and that's going to get faster. So then you have a, a fundamental problem with the quality of the data, and that is just going to explode as time moves on. That's one of the main challenges that we've taken up at, at Parkopedia to make sure that this data is, is, is good, because we understand that you know, an electric car driver who is coming to the market for the first time or coming into an electric car for the first time and maybe is uh, going through this big behavioral change to, to get an electric car, they, they need to be able to rely on the charging point data. So... 
we use a multitude of, of different ways to iron all of that out. So whether that is using what we call dynamic data, so that would be the, the API connections that we can get to the charging points themselves, because nearly all charging points are, are online. So that means that we can check the status of the charging points, if it's available or not. We can get real-time updates on that charging point. We can do all crazy things like that and, and also use our data science team in order to analyze wait times of charging points and, and really dig into that data and see what insights it's telling us. But then in addition, there's also a very important but rather basic layer which we provide as well of quality assurance, which is down to then just manual work. So this is something which I think we've learned in EV and something which the, the company itself in its history has also worked in, in parking. And that is that you can automate as much as you want and you can try to make your processes as digital as you want. You can try and get as much data as you can from charging points or parking locations. But in the end, there's a real quality of data which you can get only if you invest into manual resources who will go and visit locations or use satellite imagery to check locations and really put in those person hours to make sure that the data is correct. So overall, it becomes a massive process and operation challenge. I fully agree with you on the validation part. You know, when I was senior leader at Here Technologies, uh, you know, then Navtech, we probably spent 30 to 40% of our operating budget on validation, just on data validation. And people really, really underestimate how much it costs for that quality. But that was the differentiator because nothing worse than bad quality data. So talk a little bit about the synergies between EV and parking and your park and charge strategy. So we've talked about EV infrastructure increasing by a factor of 10 over the next five to seven years. A part of the challenge then comes on where those charging points go. The charging point is something which is quite difficult to put into the ground because not only does it, do you need to install something which is you know, a piece of electrical equipment, which comes with hazards, but in addition to that, you also need to put it somewhere where it's going to be used and it's going to be visible. And you also need to take into account things like grid connections and you need to take into account things like business models around it, et cetera. As it turns out, the winning models that we're seeing now in terms of electric car charging points being installed in off-street locations, especially in, in the European market and to some extent in the North American market. At, at the beginning, we had a lot of charging points which were put on street. So just put up on the, the sidewalk and then you would you know, park your car at the curb and there might be a charging point there. But actually, that becomes a very difficult business model to maintain. And, and then you end up getting tangled up in local municipality regulations and things like that. So there's a bigger trend now for charging points to be put on semi-public locations. So off-street charging, uh, off-street parking lots, whether that might be in say Walmart car parks or uh, in uh, or what 7-Eleven is doing now in, in, in their car parks. And then in, in Europe, this is the same with um, Tesco's or any DIY store, for example. So you can see this throughout where we have charging points, which are made for public use, but they're actually installed on, on private ground. And the extent to, to, to which that is happening is in, in Europe, I think 30% of all charging points for public use are now on, on semi-public ground. And if we look in the US, that number's around more like 50% and above. So this becomes... Uh, an issue for car drivers because it changes that, that user journey then of how you can go and use a public charging point. So um, it is not just a case of 
turning up to the charging point, finding it in your navigation unit and, and plugging your car in. But you also then need to know, um, you know, is there a barrier for the parking location or um, does the, the parking lot close at a certain point in time? Or do you need to pay for parking as well as paying for charging? And it means that there's a whole different data set which you need to be aware of in order to, to really confidently charge up your, your car. So not just the charging data and having that accurate, but also then having the parking data as well. And that provided quite a good opportunity for, for Parkopedia because this is, of course, where we have been focusing the last 15 years since our founding in 2007. Um, but we've focused on building up parking locations globally and already then providing that into the car. So from our perspective, there is a part of the EV user journey, which is very heavily linked to parking. Uh, we can provide the parking API. And then on top of that, we can then provide very clear um instructions on on the ev charging points which are available there as well and that is something i think which we're able to do in a relatively relatively unique way which gives that driver a lot more confidence in, in knowing that once they find a charging point it's, it's not just something which they're going to see from the wrong side of the barrier but but instead they're going to be able to get there and use it and be able to continue on their journey and, and get home at night it's become so complicated to think about how this whole EV charging infrastructure is going to play out. I mean, again, I, I go back to the, you know, internal combustion engine. I mean, the oil companies were incented to build gas stations so they could sell their gas to you. And then they would compete against each other and try to get a little bit more for their gas and sell more gas. So it was Shell versus mobile versus, you know, versus the others. That was simple compared to what you're talking about, because with EV, you have the OEMs. And of course, Tesla took the lead and built its own charging stations. Some of the high-end car companies are following suit, doing it to help create differentiation for their, their cars and drivers. You have independent companies like ChargePoint, EVgo, who are trying to go out there. By the way, real estate companies are getting into the mix as well with the big commercial real estate companies forming business solution teams to figure out how to make charging part of real estate. And then you have the governments which mandate things. And then you have the energy companies who are making money selling electricity. And what, what stake do they have in this? So it, to me, what's not clear is who is actually going to be driving this. I, I think there's going to be a lot of players, but not everybody's going to make money. How do you kind of see it playing out and it's probably going to be different in different countries so there was um i think it was even just today that warren buffett was quoted on his insights into the ev market and he was saying how ev is definitely going to come but it's either very difficult to know who's going to own that market or maybe in fact no one is going to specifically own that market i like to say and who's I, going to be in charge <laughs> and there's a good pun there absolutely yeah <laughs> And I think Warren Buffett might have been talking about the actual OEMs themselves. So whether it's the Chinese or the American or the European OEMs. But actually, you can extend that to the infrastructure as well. Because if, if you look at what's happening in EV infrastructure, and especially in, in the US market and the North American market at the moment, it seems, let's say, like a complete free-for-all. And that's what I find particularly exciting. And that's what really drew me, I think, to EV in the first place. And this is that it's this huge upheaval where nobody is currently owning this this market and everyone is able to get involved. I mean, if we just look at the North American market from afar, 
You've already named a few of the companies that are involved. So you've got the OEMs, of course, who are building up infrastructure. We know Tesla, we know Rivian. I mean, there's there's many more in, in Europe. You can then say Ionity as well, for example, which is an OEM-led charging network. And then you have companies like the Pure Play ones who are ChargePoint and, and EVgo. And for the beginners in the EV market, they might look like quite similar types of companies. But the truth is, is that EVgo and ChargePoint have completely different business models with completely different KPIs, completely different metrics that they want to achieve. And, and you know their path to value is all completely different, right? So whether you're basing your business model, for example, on utilization of a charging point, as somebody like EVgo might do, or whether you're basing it more on the sales of the charging point and licensing of the hardware, it's a charging point. Charge point might. Then in addition to that, we're seeing companies like Shell and the oil and gas companies are coming into it with their more traditional way of doing business. And then we have, say, 7-Eleven, we have Walmart bringing in their own charging networks. So that's OEM, that's pure play, that's oil and gas, that is the the retail companies. And that's before we've even got into the traditional energy companies like PG&E, who are playing a significant role in this market as well. It's tough to know who will dominate in this market. And I think that's also not something which we necessarily need to try to call it for, for now. I think it's rather that what we can expect to see is just increased fragmentation in the market as we see more money, more subsidies going into the market, which is going to take us you know, through to the next three or four years, then I think we can see a huge increase in, in fragmentation. It's going to make it incredibly interesting for the consumer. So there's going to be lots of different consumer offers. I think over time, we're going to see the quality of the charging networks also increase. So things like the NEVI funding, for example, comes with very strict rules on, on uptime, which is going to benefit the consumer. And then for me, most exciting is this is also going to be a time of real opportunity for startups and for agile companies, because what I've found in my career in EV is that as soon as you get at least two major industries, and here we're talking several major industries who are all trying to come together into a market, of course, these industries are like big ships. They're very powerful when they move, but actually they're very slow at moving and they're not very good at doing business with each other. They don't really know how each company works. Whereas for one minute, they, they maybe think they have this whole EV transition sewn up. The reality is, is that if you're a quick, fast company and you can be agile, then there's many cracks which appear, uh, which you can get in and fill quite quickly. And whether that is, you know, a company like Parkopedia, which is by no means a, a small company, but is certainly much more agile than, say, a company like an oil and gas company, or whether that's new companies who are coming up and trying to create roaming networks in, in the US or trying to bind together a lot of the fragmented user experiences in the North American market. There's huge opportunity, I think, for for players to, to get involved. And I think it's a super interesting time. My understanding of Parkopedia is you're a B2B provider of data to, to the OEMs, to the uh, e-mobility service providers, to others. Is that true? Or do you see yourself more as somebody who's going to go more direct to the consumer with your own services? You're correct. We are a B2B player. We do have um, a limited B2C product on, on the market, but that is currently focused purely at, at parking. And that is not our core business. It's more of a reference product. Our main business is B2B and uh, specifically providing solutions for the, for the OEMs, which is the automotive companies in this case. As somebody who's been in both B2B and B2C, and I certainly understand just how complex and expensive it is to go B2C, somebody, or many people, I should say, are probably going to try to figure out how they could be the, I'm going to call it the Airbnb of EV or the Uber of EB. What are you seeing with those types of players out there? Any forecast of where that may go? 
there's plenty of companies out there who I think have that idea. So becoming more of a B2C player in, in, in the market. I don't know of a strong, successful runaway leader in the B2C space, let's say at the moment, in terms of EV charging in either the North American or the European market. At the same time, I believe that one is needed because as we've mentioned, what is happening now in, in the market is, is huge behavioral change. And this is a change which is coming from government and from the OEMs themselves rather than being consumer-led. So this means that uh, what we're going to see now is mass market EV drivers, is people perhaps don't want to go and embrace this change. They're going to need to have their hand held in understanding how to charge their car, where they should charge it, how it actually works, how much it costs, all of these things. And there's going to be need to be a lot of instruction for consumers. And I think that's a market that a company can fill. But having said that, there's also a number of challenges, which is probably why this company doesn't really exist at the moment. Those challenges are that, especially in the North American market, the players who are in EV, they're often quite conservative when it comes to, to partnering. So they would see that they've invested a lot of money into the market. You know, They've built that market themselves. And so opening the door for other players becomes quite a challenge in the, in the North American market, which is absolutely something which I can understand. In the European market, where you, you do have uh, this more open door towards partnerships and the market is built more on collaboration for new players in the market, the frank situation is that there is still very limited money in terms of EV. And I think this is really one of the challenges, which is one of the, the factors why maybe the user experiences, et cetera, are being held back. So, of course, we all know that EV charging is, is not a great user experience. That's why companies like Parkopedia are coming in and trying to fix that. But one of the reasons why it's not so good is also because there is limited money in the market. So we forecast the volumes of electric cars, but they're still not there. We look at, say, money being made in terms of electric car charging on, on the kilowatt hour. But actually, if you speak to any retailer, energy provider, they will tell you that it's very difficult to make money even selling uh, electricity to, to homes, for example. So then once you add on all of the infrastructure and all of the different things that you need to build and the capex you need to invest in order to build up an electric car charging network, it becomes then very, very difficult to, to, to find out where the money comes. So I think there's big possibilities out there for a B2C player, someone like Uber or Airbnb. I think the market is very challenging and I think that one day someone will crack it, but there's good reasons why uh, it's not existing at the moment. If you think of Uber, it actually was kind of a simple solution. It was ride sharing, and you basically are dealing with a driver and a passenger. So you're really just dealing with two people. The same with Airbnb. It's I've got a place and somebody wants to stay there. This has so many more players in it, but it's also at the same time, a much, much, much bigger opportunity for everybody. I'd be surprised if any one player came along. I think we're going to see Lots of successes in niches, and I think it's also going to vary by region as well because the regional differences are, are very different. I'd love to hear a little bit about your EV journey. I love the name plug surfing. Tell me how you got to where you are today. So I started off in the EV industry back in, I think it was around about 2011 that I first heard of what we called it then e-mobility. And I think at that point in time, like a lot of people, I thought it was like electric scooters for uh, people that, that struggled with their own personal mobility. And then I realized it, that it wasn't, it was electric cars. As soon as I heard about this, I was fascinated. So this was around about 2011. And I started working with a company that was trying to install 
charging points. So it was was a CPO, which means a charge point operator. And in Germany, they were trying to roll out one of the first charging point networks, I think a little bit inspired by what we were seeing in, in the US. Like, so companies like ChargePoint, for example, were already on the market since approximately 2008. So a few years later, 2011, there was this other hype curve, which seems hard to believe now, but there was a real hype in investor communities around electric car charging. And, and this hype curve was really inspired by by Better Place, which is a, a name which I'm sure an, a number of people will, will, will recognize. So Better Place was a company which were very much ahead of their time. They saw that the world needed to go electric in terms of the automotive industry. And their proposed solution to do it was, was through battery swapping rather than through charging. And so they raised huge amounts of money. It was a really fashionable investment for a lot of people to make. It caused a huge amount of hype. And they were the big plan was that they would build that into battery swapping stations. And you know, I'm sure there's people that know the story much better than I do. But the short version is that that didn't work out. And within... I think about a year or so they'd burnt through what well, I heard something like $500 million and, and didn't really have much to show for it. But so I, I got caught up a bit in that hype at the time, uh, working for a charging point operator. So thinking that electric cars were just around the corner. And and then of course, when, when that didn't happen, one thing I had noticed was that charging points were being installed, but there wasn't really a a, a basic database of where to uh, find charging points. We thought that there were going to be drivers out there looking for charging points. And that turned out to be a, a little bit true, but that that led to me and uh, a colleague of mine, a guy, a guy called Jakob, uh, then uh, founding the company Plug Surfing, which was based originally on uh, the on couch surfing, where we thought well people would have home charging points and they would then share those charging points out with other people in order to make up for a lack of more established uh, infrastructure. And in the long run, we, we were right, but it just took a lot longer than, than we thought. And we, we built up this app, we made partnerships, we were quite ahead of, of our time, and that gave us some opportunities, which we maybe otherwise wouldn't have, have got. So providing data, for example, into tier ones who were who were supplying uh, car companies with, with navigation charging points. And then we realized that over time, the main issue was not just around finding charging points, but around paying for charging points. And so we built up then uh, a payment layer to that and uh, became the what I believe to be the first pure play EMSP in the, in the European market, which was uh, meant that we could then help electric car drivers find and, and pay for charging. And this was all a, a fun thing to do, but wasn't really getting, getting anywhere until Dieselgate happened in about 2015. And then from that point onwards, uh, I really have this memory of, of one day going home and, you know, no, nothing much happening. And the next day coming into the office and the phone not stopped ringing because um, everybody, every company seemed to have woken up to the fact that EV was going to come. So uh, Volkswagen had, of course, been been found out cheating on emissions tests. That had huge implications. It meant that the German government could no longer listen to the lobbyists who were against EV. They needed to push for it. And suddenly, every single company involved in, in EV uh, who had been dancing around the subject for a long time now needed to go headfirst into it and that gave us a big opportunity to really push our business which, which we did and, and we ended up having an, an exit from that in, in 2018 and, and so on i, I joined parkopedia in, in 2021 the reason for that is because i still believe that there's a lot of work to be done in terms of making that good user experience in terms of ev so what we see today is you know we, we see a larger fragmentation in terms of charging point operators we see a larger contingency of, of OEMs producing electric cars out there. 
but in the end there isn't really that cohesion between all of the different sides of the of the platform so the the energy companies and the cpos and then also the users and the electric cars the, the electric cars themselves so how do you bring that all together how do you create big databases how do you create accurate data how do you map that up with other automotive services such as parking for example and then paying for charging and paying for fueling and how do you put that into the car and that i see as a as a huge opportunity uh, which is something that we need to to crack at, at Parkopedia and which we're making very, very good progress on doing. Adam, it sounds like you've got a tiger by the tail and I'm glad you're back in the fight because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There are very big differences between regions, even within the US, from US to Europe, to UK, to the rest of the world in terms of not only consumer behavior, but also the whole business environment. There are several different consumer use cases of charge at home. You live in an urban area where you don't have the ability to charge at home. So now you're more dependent on public charging to when you're traveling. So how do you see those different consumer use cases playing out in the different regions and how the different businesses and governments are responding? The reason that I think this question is quite important is because when we talk about megatrends, we we talk about global phenomenon. And then when you speak to, say, the automotive companies, who, of course, play a huge role in terms of EV, if you look at how they procure services, then one of the issues, in my view, is that they try to procure services on a global level, and if not global, then at least regional, and regional there meaning, say, Europe and, and North America. But the truth is, that doesn't really have a good fit for the user, because the individual driver wants their service to be local, because... A lot of the time, even if you're charging in public, you're going to do so in, in your local in your local area. Not everybody travels interstate every day. And there's going to be different local champions that are so different charging point networks which are better for you to use, which might be very different for someone with exactly the same car but in the next city along. So if we really want to create a very good EV user journey, then we need to be very sensitive to these local issues as well as the global view on and the global overall megatrend as well and that means for example then looking at things like in europe for example where we have this much much more fragmented landscape of of ev charging points because we have very fragmented energy sector out there and there's been this big energy transition in companies in, in countries like germany for example where there's been this big push away from nuclear in certain countries and not in other countries and that all, all then has a big impact in the types of companies which then end up producing charging points and the, their motivations for doing so and that then becomes very different to say using a tesla supercharger across the the us for example where you will expect a rather similar user experience whether you're on the, the west coast or the east coast so we, we need to make sure that we make integrations deep enough with each partner to really provide their local strengths so the customers will use those charging points. We also need to be uh, sensitive to the fact that in Europe, for example, most charging will, will happen uh, at home as it will in the US, but there will also be a larger percentage, around about 30% or so of charging that will happen in public in, in Europe, simply because a lot of people that live in cities in, in, in Europe do not have a private parking space and private charging points, which is a little bit different to, to the US. And so that user experience is going to be different. Just to, to, to wrap on, on this point, we, we also need to then look at very different user experiences, which are happening in the non-major EV markets. So if we look at the more developing EV markets and countries which are catching up very, very quickly, and one of these springs to mind is, is say, the Indian market. 
which I've been speaking to Indian CPOs recently, and, and they were telling me some what I've found to be quite interesting stories, where today people that own electric cars in India are people who are wealthy and, and who are educated and you know ha- have a certain socioeconomic profile because to own an electric car in India is a status thing and it's, it's quite tough. But these are not the people who charge their car because these people employ drivers and the driver will then charge the car for the owner of that car. And something about this driver is they will not be educated and they may well not be able to, to read. So if you're making then a, a, a user experience for an electric car driver, then you need to make the distinction between who owns the car and who's going to be charging that car. And how do you make it as simple as possible? Because uh, it's very possible that the person that's driving, that's charging that car will will not be able to read instructions and will need to be able to charge it for somebody else. And I think that's quite quite a strange example, of course, but I think it just highlights the point that um, you, you need to look at EV in terms of regional differences. You need to really get into the markets. You really need to understand what's happening on the ground. Because although you might try to sell into OEMs who look at things globally, in the end, you need to provide a good solution for the driver on a local level uh, and make sure that they can use the product in a way that's going to make them happy and help them overcome this this behavioral change and get what they want. Having lived in Europe and you know growing up in America, there are some really major differences with the Europe geography in that it's it's much more dense, much more concentrated, much more like I'm mean, East Coast US in terms of how urban it is. So if you look at the US, you have the East Coast US, and then you kind of have the rest of the US, which is long <laughs> travel times and lots of EV deserts out there. And that is going to be a, a really hard problem, I think, for the US to solve, where I think the EV adoption is going to be much higher in urban areas just because of some of the range issues with it as well. But And I think the other thing where I actually think Europe is going to be able to be stronger and move better is there's a much stronger central government support for it. And I think in the US, a lot of politics get into play. I think Europe's going to be ahead of us in terms of adoption and rollout. And I do think that just our geography being so big and also our government structure is going to have a, an impact I think we eventually get there, but I I actually think it's going to take us a little longer. And I think we're lagging in terms of adoption versus Europe and other parts of the world. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the behavioral patterns and ownership patterns of cars is also very different. So, or let's put it another way that EV is something which has really been, uh, I think, unfortunately, has has become really an integral part of a culture war, you know, in a very similar way to you know, wearing masks during a pandemic or whatever it might be is something which people have very strong opinions on, which on the face of it might not seem rational. And, and this is not just in the US, of course, this is also in, in, in Europe, we have this as well. But uh, I think maybe because of the other reasons you, you've mentioned, so the longer driving distances in, in, in the US, for example, uh, I think we are seeing that having more of an impact in the US and slowing down EV adoption. Uh, some people might find it impractical. Other people might find it that it's something which doesn't suit their personality. And I think it's really interesting to see how this is now being challenged by EV companies. So if we look at, say, Ram bringing out their electric truck and the advert which or the commercial which they put on during the Super Bowl, which was aimed at the stereotypical Ram driver, but doing so with an EV, I think that's incredibly important. And I think that's really going to challenge the perception around EVs and what EVs are capable of. And I think that over time, we will see then the, the US market catching up in terms of overall penetration. 
But until then, of course, we're all going to sit behind countries like Norway, which have a very different view of the car. And, you know, also, let's face it, don't have their own car industry to lose, right? Which is what countries like Germany and the US do have. Great. Thank you, Adam, for being on the show. Our guest on Talking the Drive has been Adam Woolway, head of EV at Parkopedia. I'm John McLeod, and I welcome your thoughts. Drop me a line at drive, D-R-I-V-E, at rivet360.com. Talking the Drive is produced by Rivet360, a technology and production company that's excited about what's next for people, places, and things.